for God's Word, for His Scriptures, and for the Gospel message. As we've spent the past couple of weeks speaking on the Gospel, establishing what we what the Gospel message is, and then we jump back into Genesis, into creation, and, and how even at the beginning of creation we begin to see the seeds and the, the foundation of the Gospel message. And, and this morning we're going to continue in the book of Genesis. So if you want to turn with me over to Genesis chapter 3, we'll read verses 9 through 15 here in just a moment. So Genesis chapter 3, verse 9 through 15. But as you're turning there, just I just want to just draw our attention. We, we, we know that sin is destructive, right? We know that. And even those that don't believe in God, that don't go to church, that don't trust in the Scriptures, know that there are characteristics and things in this life that we can do that are harmful to one another. That's why we have laws. That's why we have, have things that are criminal, that, that have punishments and consequences, because we know that we can do things that are destructive to our own life and other people's lives. So we understand that aspect of the world around us. All of us have seen the effects of sin, maybe in somebody else's life that we love or that we're, we're close to, or maybe we've already experienced the consequences of sin in our own life. We know that sin is real. But where does sin come from? You know, we, we talked last week that, that when, when God brought everything and created it together, that it was good, and at its base and at its core, everything that God created is still good. That being said, though, how did we go from this idyllic picture that is painted in Genesis chapter 1 and 2 of a perfect place, of paradise here on earth, where everything was provided for them, everything was given to them, they had access to everything, there was no sickness, no hurt, no pain, nothing, no sorrow, everything was perfect. How do we get from that place in Genesis 1 and 2 to the perilous and often depressing and sad depiction of society that we are familiar with today? How did we get from there to here? Genesis chapter 3 shows us where the story that started off so good begins to turn. All right? So Genesis chapter 3, verse 9 through 15 reads like this. It says, Then the Lord God called to Adam and said to him, Where are you? So he said, I heard your voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you that you should not eat? Then the man said, The woman whom you gave to me to be with me, she gave me of the tree, and I ate. And the Lord God said to the woman, What is this you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. So the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, you have cursed more than all cattle. You are cursed more than all cattle, and more than every beast of the field. On your belly shall you, you shall go, and you shall eat dust all the days of your life. And I'll put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and in her seed, he shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. So that's Genesis chapter 3, verses 9 through 15. So as we start today, I want to talk about, about falling, okay? Let me fill in the gaps here just a minute. Between where we were last week, this idyllic, perfect place of paradise, that God created everything in six days, said it was very good, sat down on the seventh day and rested, and, and that perfection, paradise on earth. Everything was wonderful, beautiful, made by God. It was as it was supposed to be. And then here we get to here. But leading up to this, we don't know the timeline and everything, but there was probably at least some amount of time that Adam and Eve spent in the garden. Going through tending things, he put it upon Adam to, to and, and them to have dominion over things and kind of establish certain things and, and rule over the animals and beasts and everything that God had created. But there came a certain time in their story where, where Eve went to um, 
this tree, was close to this tree, had to be close to it for the Satan, for the serpent to begin to talk to her. This tree of the knowledge of good and evil that, that the Lord had told them. You can eat of every tree, every plant in this garden that you want. It'll fulfill you. It'll give you what you need. You know, all these wonderful things, all these things I've provided you. Just don't go, to, don't go by that tree. Don't eat of that tree. But one day, at some point, she was close to it. Maybe she lost track of where she was. Maybe she was curious. We don't know. We're not told that. But she got there. And when she was there, this serpent appeared to her and began to compel her, began to entice her to eat of the tree. And she said, well, the Lord told us not to eat of the tree. You know, we're going to die if we eat of the tree. And he said, no, 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 no. Surely you shall not die. If you eat of this tree, it'll make you as God yourself. You'll, you'll know it all. You'll, you'll have everything. You have all these things, all this knowledge. She says she saw the tree and she saw it looked good to eat and she desired it. So it says that she plucked the fruit, whatever it was, and, and ate it. And then she turned and she, she gave it to her husband. And they both ate it. So eventually, we don't know if it was immediately or, or, or whatnot, but there came a point where they realized that from eating this, this fruit, that they knew then between, the difference between good and evil. Bad and, 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 the, and the, you know, the worst things in life and the best things in life. And they saw that they were naked. And they saw that they were uncovered and, and they felt ashamed for it. They felt guilt for it. So they went and they, they began to try to make some clothing and everything. And the Bible says that God came and to walk with them in the cool of the day as he would about most every day from what we understand from Scripture. And, and he began to call out for them, to look for them. Now we understand from Scripture he knew where they were. You know, that wasn't a question for him. He was just calling out for calling out for them, for them to present themselves to him. And and they came, and that's where we pick up here in verses nine through fifteen, and they begin to explain their situation. Well, we, we took of this, we knew we were naked, we took of this, and, and and they begin to play the blame game and, and then eventually he begins to kind of dole out the consequences of what they'd done, uh, of their sin. And uh, eventually they were chapter ends with them being cast out of the garden of of Eden and him putting cherubim and a flaming sword at the gate to keep them from coming in because they could, if they came in, they could eat of the tree of life and live forever in this sinful state. And that's not what God desired. He, he, he did not want sin to just, for us to live in sin forever. It's not what he wanted for us. You know, over time, theologians have, have separated Scripture into different points, significant points in the Scripture to kind of just, as you step back, to give you a, a highlight, high, the high points of Scripture, an overview to look at. And obviously one of those high points is, is creation, right? We understand. That's a big thing, you know. That's one of the things we learn. Sunday school, we hear about creation, you know. We know Chris. That's the big thing it starts out with. But then the second point that most theologians highlight is what we call the fall. The fall. That's not some kind of deep theological term, but all it simply means is the time when Adam and Eve fell from the graces and the mercy of God and fell into sin. And not just Adam and Eve, but all of mankind from that point. We have been considered to have been born in the fall. And when we talk about where sin came from, or why things are the way they are in the world around us, why there's so much sadness, why there's so much hurting, why bad things happen to good people, why bad things happen in general, why there's, national, why there's all these tragedies and things going on. When we, when we think about that, we have to come back to this point. Because outside of this point, none of that stuff happens. We live in perfect paradise for all of creation. And it's the way that God originally planned it to be. But because of the fall... All these other things begin to happen. Sin began to rule and to dictate and destroy the world around us. 
You know, apocalyptic movies and things are, are popular in, in, in media today. Movies, books, and, and shows. And, you know, whether it be zombies or whether it be some kind of computer that's, you know, got too smart for itself or, or whatever plot point it may be, you know, they, they have these movies. But oftentimes what happens or how those things came to happen is because humans made decisions that ended up leading to this apocalyptic thing, this terrible time. And you can see similarities with that in Scripture here with the decisions that Adam and Eve made. I want us to know and understand that God did not initially design mankind or its creation to know sin, to know suffering, to know death or separation from Him. That was not why He created the Garden of Eden. That is not why He put man and woman on this earth. That was not His design. That was not His desire. He wanted to live in perfect peace and paradise with us forever. Those things only came after Adam and Eve took the fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And it's from this decision ultimately came every other bad thing in creation. From this point... This point in the history of all the world and everything that's going on, that's going on, at this point is where everything else began to happen. Let me give you this illustration. We went on a trip to Texas at one point um, in Tara's car, and out in Texas, West Texas, in the Panhandle, they drive 100 miles an hour on back roads. I mean, like they fly, they get giddy up, right? They just go. It's straight roads, it's flat. I mean, there's no curve in sight. You can see where the earth turns, right? It just goes. And they just go, and they, they get it. And it don't matter if it's a little car, if it's 18-wheeler or what, it just goes. And we were one day behind, a, an, a, um, I think, a dump truck with gravel and stuff like that. Um, and they put gravel out on the road, too. I don't understand why they do that. They have concrete roads, and they just throw gravel and everything out there so you can have something drop. I don't know. It's just strange things in Texas, I guess. One day, a piece of gravel kicked back, and it, it hit the window. Now, it was just a small chip. You know, about the size of a dime or maybe a quarter, just a small chip. So we didn't think much of it, you know. We said, well, we'll get it fixed. When you get it fixed, you know, why not? And we went, and we went. And winters come, and it would begin to crack a little bit. But it still wasn't bad. It was a, it was an inch or two, you know, and whatnot. And it would begin to, we would be like, that's okay. But we'll get it fixed. We'll get it fixed. And tax season comes, we'll get it fixed. We didn't get it fixed. You know, whatever comes, we'll get it fixed. Didn't we? And eventually it just began to spread and spread more and more. Would keep on going across the windshield, and then another one began to go, go up front. Now we understand. You take a clear, clean pane of glass, and you chip it or you crack it in some kind. It usually doesn't stay that way for very long. That crack begins to spread until you get to the point where you have a spider web of cracks and chips and things all across the window, and, and its stability is, is really put into question at that point. And that's what we see with the fall. The fall was the chip. It was the crack. It was the initial thing that that kind of scarred and marred what God desired for His humanity, for His creation, to live in perfect peace and perfect paradise with Him. But there was that chip. And over generations and thousands of years and thousands of years, that chip has continued to crack, continued to spread, until we now look at this thing, and we, we look at humankind, and we look at humanity, and what was just once this one little chip has spread until it's a spider web of destructive characteristics and personality traits and things and actions and, and horrible, horrible atrocities that, that we've committed as a society and different things like that. And we see that, but if you know what you're looking for, you can look and you can find the point where it started. And the point where it started was the fall. The fall. 
So I think it's, it's amazing that we see that in creation, this beautiful, wonderful creation that is good, that is perfect, that is wonderful, that God has made. And then mankind, because of their decisions, marred it, scarred it, perverted it, and made it not what God desired for it. And this is the fall. Now we could look and we can look at our own lives and what we can understand. I'm not saying that we should blame every bad thing that's happened on us on Adam and Eve. We make the same bad decisions daily. We do the same bad things daily. Put in the same situation with the same parameters, we would do the exact same thing. Might have done it earlier, might have done it a little bit later, might not have done it the same way, might have been the man instead of the woman that took it first. I don't know, but it would have happened. We would have done it. We would have sinned. We would, too, have thrown that rock at that clear pane of glass and created that crack that spread out to the spider web that has become today. And that's the fall. To see that change so quickly from perfect peace in paradise to this creation where where has been marred by sin and destruction and death is is sad. And what we like to do a lot of times when those things happen is we go about trying to to fix it. And it's understandable to look at the things going on in the world right now. We see death, we see destruction, we see war, we see hunger, we see depravities, we see, you know, young children being treated certain ways, we see, you know, you see women treated certain ways, men treated, you know, all kinds of different things. We see sexual perversion, we, we see all kinds of greed and, and, and all things running rampant. And it's really easy to think, man, I want to fix this, right? I like to fix things. If I see a problem, I, I want to fix it, I want to work on it, I want to do something to change it. And through history, we, we, have, we have tried in different ways. You know, you go through, and, and not too long ago, several hundred years ago, the big thing was revolutions, right? The idea was if we got rid of the monarchies, if we got rid of these ruling, you know, these ruling elect, then, then we could have a better society. And then maybe the, the Enlightenment period came around and said the more educated people are, the better the people will be. That if people are more educated, they'll be better people in general. Science tells us in a lot of situations that if we become advanced enough that society would come to peace with everything. And I'm a full proponent of democracy. I'm a full proponent of you know, education and, and you know, science and stuff like that. But we also see what comes from those. Democracies came and people are still oppressed. People still don't have enough to eat. People still die. People still are murdered. People still get cancer and get sick. We see, you know, that... People got smarter with the Enlightenment, but that means the bad people got smarter too. They got clever. They figured out how to hoodoo and hoodwink people a whole lot easier than they used to or able to. We have advancements, and there's good that comes with that, but it also comes with the atomic bomb. It also comes with cybercrime and people getting their, their uh, you know, identity stolen. It comes with tech addiction and us always being having that thing in our hand and, and putting aside our family and things that are more important. Those things came, and there were some good things that came from it, and there's bad things that came from it, but ultimately it didn't fix what was wrong. It didn't fix it. And look at a smaller scale. You could look at your own life. We all have our own sins, our own things that we struggle with, our addiction, our anger, our, our pain, our greed, or you know, whatever it may be that we just really wrestle with and struggle with. And, and, and we, we, we realize that we can't overcome our sinful nature by ourselves. Now, thankfully, we have, you know, counselors and different ones and programs and communities and recoveries and societies and stuff that can help us overcome a sin, but it does not remove the sinful nature from our carnal flesh. How many times have you overcome one thing just to then a few days, days later be ensnared by another thing? 
You overcome that addiction to whatever it may be that you had. Just to be that a couple weeks later, you're struggling with anger on a level that you've never struggled with. Vice versa, or different ways and different combinations. And we have ways that we can overcome maybe one sin, but we will always struggle with our sinful nature. Ultimately, within ourselves, there is no way, no way of fixing the destructive things that sin has brought upon our lives or brought upon our society. There is it within ourselves. We as humanity can't do it. We all get together and we pull together in the same direction and we try to do our best and, and sin will end up working its way in and we'll be destructive again after so long. It won't last forever. Sin is that way. Sin is destructive. Sin will destroy the families that it touches, the people that it touches, the, the communities, the churches, the societies, whatever it is, sin is the destructive. And we can't fix it. We can maybe put patches on it. We can maybe do things that make it better for a little while, make society better for a little while, but we can't fix it. We can't fix the core issue of sin that is coming to this earth. But I want us to understand that, that it's only, only, through the grace and the power of Jesus Christ and what he did, that we are able to overcome the sin that resides in this world. We said the gospel message was this, that because of our sin, because of my sin, Christ died, was resurrected to offer us mercy, salvation, grace, however you want to phrase that. And there's a reason that Christ is in there. We said last week that because God and Christ created everything, He gives them authority over everything. And that means that it's only through Christ that these problems that sin created can be fixed. Because if it could be anybody that could fight against sin and overcome it, if any one of us could be good enough in ourselves, if any one of us could get past and, and duke it out with sin and duke it out with our carnal nature and come out on top and come out ahead and be that perfect creation, then it really would, it would take the significance and the necessity away of Christ being part of the gospel message. Amen. But we can't fix it ourselves. Making Christ interjecting himself into the gospel a necessity that cannot be avoided that cannot be overlooked, that cannot be downplayed, we had to have Christ right. to fix it. We can patch it, maybe make it smell a little bit better for a little while, maybe like make it act a little bit better for a little while, but we can't fix it. We need Christ to fix it. Amen. We have to have Christ to fix it. And I'm thankful, though, that God had a plan before he even needed a plan. There's literally a term called foreshadowing. We're going to talk about that for just a second. And, you know, it would be very easy to, to read this part of Scripture where God came down to walk with Adam and Eve in the cool of the day. And he finds them there and they're naked and they're in their sin and everything. They've eaten of the, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and be like, you know, do what he did, scorn, you know, convict them, say, you know, hey, this is the consequences of your sin. You've got to leave Eden. And we might think that he just went up to heaven and got in his thinking chair and sat down and really had to problem solve, what do I do now? Because in a similar situation, that's what we would have done, right? right. 
If we're faced with something that we did not expect, or that we did not see coming, we might try to patch it. We might try to do something temporary to get us through that day or get us through that week. And then we'll go home or we'll do whatever it is that we do to problem solve and think through things to try to find find a more substantial solution that will really fix the issue. I love to just get in the car and drive, but I'm really trying to figure something out or problem solve or work through an issue or dealing with something internally. I can get in the car and turn on music and drive. That's just what I like to do. People do different things. They go fishing or you know, they go work on their car or they go read a book or they just go sit quietly and, and, and whatever it may be. And you have our ways to, to problem solve. And we like to think that that's what God did. But that idea, that mentality infers that God does not know what comes next. And that God is not ready for what's ahead. But we understand and should understand from Scripture that God has planned for every eventuality since creation. That at creation, He had a plan for every eventuality. He has the plan that He wants, and He knows all the ways that we're going to mess up, and He has a plan on how to deal with whatever we throw at Him. It doesn't matter. He already knows. And we might think of that concept, think of that idea, and it might just be like incomprehensible for us. But our faith tells us that Christ is omnipotent omnipotent and omniscient. Omniscient means that He is all-knowing. There is no parameters on that. No time frame. No person. No group. Nothing hinders Him from knowing. He is omniscient. He is all-knowing. And He is omnipotent. He is all-powerful. Because he is omniscient and all and, and he is omnipotent, then we know that he has planned for every eventuality. And he had planned for this eventuality. That Adam and Eve would do this. Didn't want him to. He didn't set him up to fail. He didn't desire for him to fail, but he knew it was a possibility. And he had a plan of what to do when that possibility came to fruition. You want to say, how do you know that? Because in verse 15. Verse 15 says that I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Many theologians and people that have researched Scripture believe this is the first reference in Scripture to the Redeemer that is prophesied throughout much of the Old Testament that is established and made ready all the way through Moses and and the Abrahamic line and, and all these things, the Davidic line, that this is the first reference of God speaking of the Redeemer, that eventually would be fulfilled through Christ Jesus, His Son. So think about this. They hadn't barely got past the sinning part. And God already had a plan to make this gospel message come to fruition. He was already writing the gospel message before it was even needed. I can't figure out how to deal with something after, weeks after it's happened sometimes. And God's already here. I've got a message that I'm going to send them. When If this eventuality comes to pass, they fail, they come short, they don't listen to me. I know it's a possibility. I want their free moral love. I want them to choose me. But for them to choose me, they have to have an alternate choice. And if they make the alternate choice, I'll have a way to redeem them, to bring them home, to fix the mess that they make if and when that happens. Already writing in the gospel message before it was even needed. And it blows my mind just to think of how God, so great in love and mercy, was like, even when they do that, even if that happens, 
no matter what they do, I will prepare this way for them. I will prepare this message for them. I will prepare this path for them so that they can have access to what they disregarded at one time. They can have it free and fully again. That what they broke and what they messed up and what they got put their nose into that they shouldn't have put their nose into and how they did things that they shouldn't have done, they perverted the great good thing that I've created and done it and used it for things that I didn't desire for them to do. But when that happens, I'll already have a way. I already talked it out with Jesus. We've already got all the details planned out. We already know when He's going to be born. We know that there's a woman going to be named Mary that's going to come and she looks like a good option. We're going to use her. Joseph's going to have questions, but he'll get through it. He'll get over it. He'll do what I need him to do. And you're going to go and live that life. And you're going to be what they need even when that happens, Jesus. Already before. Maybe even before they'd even created Adam and Eve. They sat down and went over all the eventualities of what could happen. And made a plan that we too could know Christ. Even though our ancestors and Adam and Eve failed and came short, and even though we still fail and come short today, we too can know Christ. Amen. Foreshadowing is just saying something that references or hints at something that is yet to come. And in Scripture, we see here in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, God foreshadowing the coming of His Son. He will bruise your head and you shall bruise His heel. We know that Jesus Christ took the keys to death, hell, and the grave. That at one point was in possession of Satan. But we know that Satan was able to bruise Christ's heel while he was on this earth and put into place in the action what, what Satan thought was a good thing, but ultimately was a good thing for us. And having him crucified, persecuted, crucified, beaten, all these things happened to him while he was on earth. But we understand that this was what God created so that when... Adam and Eve failed, we could have access to what they'd experienced in the beginning. That knowledge of knowing God and being close to Him and walking with Him and talking with Him and being, being in a relationship with Him that without the gospel, we would have no understanding or knowledge of and have no access to without the gospel. So we can look at this as we've talked about just how the gospel message is threaded through all of Scripture. We can see here that one, it points directly to, it has to be Jesus. It had to be Jesus. Because we messed it up and we can't fix what we messed up. I know Harper's broke things sometimes and I'm like, how in the world did she break this? Because I can't even figure out how to put it back together. And it's like, I don't know if you ever had anything like that. But it's amazing what children can do. The destructive forces of nature that they are. That they are. It's amazing. That's what we were. We broke it. And we couldn't fix it. We couldn't figure out how to fix it. We passed it along to everybody. And nobody else could fix it. Theologians have come and gone. Great men and women have come and gone. David, great man, came and went. No one, none of us could fix it. It had to be Jesus to fix what we broke. We can also know, though, that God wasn't surprised or caught off guard. Disappointed, right. yes. But he wasn't surprised or caught off guard. Right. He already had an idea and a plan of action for that eventuality, if it were to happen. He didn't want it. I mean, people will say, well, you know, he, he just had that plan. No, he didn't want that to happen. He created it with the intention to have that forever without a beneath. That's what he wanted. He wanted them to choose him daily, to go by that tree and never desire it. But he knew it was possible that they would. 
Just like he would desire for us to never sin. He said, little children, I would that you would not sin. But he says, there's an eventuality. There's a possibility that you will. So if you do, you have an adequate with the Father. He doesn't want us to, but he knows it's possible. Probably more than that, he knows it's probable that we will. And he said, but I've planned for that too. I've planned for that too. And though that might be a mind-boggling concept, that he, every image I, I find such comfort knowing that that's my God. That's my God. That nothing I do surprises him. That he gives me free agency and he lets me make my choices, just like he may let Adam and Eve make their choices. But he has a plan for whatever I do. It just blows my mind. But I find comfort in that, knowing that that's my God. That he's got me. And he's got the whole world. All of time, he's omniscient. And he's omnipotent. He knows it all. And he can do it all. And he still gives me that choice. And he still loves me when I make the wrong choice. And I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful for Scripture. I'm thankful as we continue to learn about the Gospel and, and, 